Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. 1 Samuel 11. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, I will make it with you on this condition. Have you noticed, whenever you're in a tough spot and you're looking to make a covenant with those that you shouldn't be making a covenant with, there's always a condition. God has cut an unconditional covenant with us based upon the finished work of his son. Satan likes to cut covenants too, but he always has conditions. He says, hey, you can have this and this and that, but uh, I just need one thing from you. It was fairly minor. He said, this is the condition. I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you. Thus, I will make it a reproach on all Israel. Okay, you guys want me to go soft on your town? You guys want to cut a covenant with me? I'm sure that the leaders of this area were desperate to save their wives and children and family. I mean, what would you do if this guy's got you by the neck and he's ready to devastate your town? People do desperate things in desperate moments. And the people said, look, we'll serve you. Please don't kill us all. I think that's what they're saying. Please. I mean, how many of our brethren are in this situation right now? Where people are saying, you, you need to say you're this. You need to, you need to you know, renounce your faith in Christ. Otherwise, this is going to happen to you. The serpent will happily make a covenant with you, but it will always cost you something very precious. How precious are your eyes to you? The evangelist Ray Comfort often says to people, would you sell me your eyes for a million dollars? And people say, no way. I would not sell you my eyes for $10 million, $10 billion. And Jesus said, well, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It'd be better that you lose your eye than have your eyes full and enter into eternal judgment. You know, we're, we're not used to talking to people like that, but are we that serious about heaven and hell that we would say to somebody, look, you're, you wouldn't sell your eyes for $10 million, but you'd sell your soul for what? Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he gains not a city block, not his own private island or Idaho? <laughs> I don't know why that entered my mind, but... <laughs> But if you gain the whole world, it wouldn't be worth it because you would forfeit your what? Wow. That's the kind of terms that Jesus is talking about. He said it wouldn't even be worth it if you gain the whole world. Uh, Pastor John was telling me about a movie. He goes, do you remember this movie about the Yankees? I won't say the first name of the movie. But it was about a guy, I guess he was a ball player. or He loved baseball and he sold his soul to the devil. And uh, finally came to his senses at the end of the movie. I never saw the movie. It was before my time, which <laughs> disappointed Pastor John. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I like the premise of the movie, right? And, you know, we might think, well, that's just, those are stories. You know, people don't literally sell their souls for success, do they? Hmm. Do you know how many stories there are that are coming out about the up-and-coming uh, 
rock artists and stars in our culture who have Christian backgrounds? Do you know that Miley Cyrus was interviewed by Barbara Walters when she was probably 16 years old? And Barbara Walters asked Miley Cyrus, I watched this interview personally, what is going to keep you from getting yourself in trouble and following the ways of all these child stars that go off the deep end into drugs and alcohol and all this stuff? And Miley Cyrus said, my faith. My faith. In who? She claimed to be a Christian, her faith in Jesus Christ. Can she come back? Certainly she can. But here's the, here's the point. Yeah, you can have what you want. All it's going to cost you is your right eye. But there's something even deeper here. I want you to see what Nahash says. He says, look, I don't want to just gouge out your right eye. My goal is to make it a reproach, would you mark it, on all Israel. When, when this happens, when we cut the covenant, I'm going to cut your eye out. But I'm not going to just cut your eye out just to cut it out. I'm going to do it so that you will be a bunch of fools to everybody else who thinks that your God is so great. See, what I really want to do is make a fool out of you. I'd like to make you a walking reproach. I hope you can see the deeper lesson here of how the enemy works. See, he doesn't want to just take something precious from you. He wants you to be a reproach. He wants the name of Christ dragged through the mud. It's the battle. This is where it lies. This is what is at stake. It's interesting because Samson had both his eyes gouged out. Do you remember that? After he messed with Delilah. I mean, Delilah was pretty obvious about what she wanted to do, right? She said, Samson, tell me the secret of your power so that we might... uh, What was her words? Make sport of you? uh, Destroy you? Pretty much she told him how it was. And finally he told her the secret. The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And Samson thought, just like other times, that he'd be able to fend them off. But he did not realize. This is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. That the Lord had departed from him. And he couldn't break himself free. And the first thing that the Philistines did was gouge both his eyes out. Now, Samson's hair starts to grow back and he tells the boy watching over him, hey, can, I want to lean against one of those pillars where everybody's, you know, the house where they're having the party. And they, they had brought him there to make sport of him. And let me just feel that pillar. And you know what happened, right? God gave him the strength and the house came crashing down. Samson fulfilled what he was supposed to do, but I don't think the way that it was supposed to really go down. Even when Nebuchadnezzar sees Jerusalem in 2 Kings 25.7, he put out the eyes of Zedekiah, the king. But just before he did that, he killed, he slaughtered his sons right before the king. And Jesus says, the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy. Whatever notions you have about Satan in the world and and you know what his name means. He's the adversary. He's the liar, right? Whatever understanding you have about him, Jesus said about him, he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Indeed, Satan in Hebrew means the snake that devours life. That's his name. He's not hiding what he's going to do, what he wants to do. 
So the Ammonites, these ancient enemies of Israel, Nahash has come now. Uh, by the way, just, just a side note that uh, the Ammonites come from Ben-Ami, who was the half-brother of Moab. Uh, he was a son of Abraham's nephew Lot by incest with one of his daughters, Genesis 19.38. And a lot of you are familiar with what happened there. And that's how the Ammonites came into being. And Solomon went after Ashtoreth in 1 Kings 11.5, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. What's interesting is that these people groups that surrounded Israel and were constantly a menace to them had these false gods that they worshipped. And whenever Israel got in trouble with God, it was because they were being enamored by the idols of the surrounding nations. Even Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived except for Jesus Christ, because of his many foreign wives, his heart was drawn away from God at the end of his life. Solomon did not finish well. Now, if that's what the Bible says, what does that make you think about guarding your own life? Do you want to even give a little crack in the door to, the, to this enemy? No way, man. No way. It even says in Luke 4.13 that after Satan tempted Jesus, he went away waiting for an opportune time. Luke 4.13. That's how our enemy works. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that we've got to have a balanced view. We, we war against the flesh. We war against ideas. And of course, there's a spiritual battle. But it's not all just about demonic kind of stuff. Lots of times people want to use that as an excuse. C.S. Lewis said people, uh, the demons love two things. They love when you see them behind every tree and you attribute everything to satanic influence and they love when you think they don't exist. The two extremes. So we've got to be balanced. Greater is he that is in us than what? He that is in the world. So you don't have to freak out as a Christian. First John 5, I think it's verse 19, says, the devil can't even touch you. Can't even touch you. Just stay behind Jesus. You'll be fine. When he knocks, say, Jesus, can you please get that? That's the key. Can you answer that? See, we understand that we're in the battle, but the battle belongs to the Lord. Now, the elders of Jabesh said to him, to Nahash, the snake, let us alone for seven days that we may send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. Then, if there is no one to deliver or save us, ESV, we will come out to you. Okay, uh, plan A doesn't sound so good. <laughs> I'd like to keep my right eye. I'd like not to be a reproach among all my people. Would you give us a week? Snake, Mr. Snake, what should we call you? <laughs> and Nahash said, all right, fine. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know if he wasn't prepared to fully take the city yet. I don't know if he was just a prideful, yeah, what are these people going to do? They didn't even have a king. So the elders were those who governed the particular community at this time before the monarchy. And it's interesting, if you look at 1 Samuel 10, 19, Samuel gave a warning. When the people asked for a king, he said, look at 1 Samuel 10, 19, he said, but you today rejected your God who what? Who delivers you from all your calamities and your distresses. Yet you have said no, but set a king over us. Now therefore, present yourselves before, before the Lord by your tribes 
and by your clans. You've rejected the God who delivers you. How many people? I mentioned last Wednesday, how much rejection does God experience on a daily basis? A ton, right? Well, the very people of God who were called by God to be a special nation, the warning from the prophet says, you've rejected your salvation. The Hebrew word for salvation, by the way, is Yeshua, which is the name Jesus. And there's, there's these pictures of Jesus all throughout here. These guys sound pathetic, don't they? They say, give us a week, Mr. Snakey. Right? If there's, uh, but they're pretty blunt. We're going to look for someone to help us. We're going to look for somebody to save us. But here's one interesting thing that you should look that's not there. They don't say, we're going to call upon our God. They don't say, hey, we're going we're to conduct a fast we're going to pray. They don't say, hey, you know what? Our God is stronger than your so-called God. They then they send out these messengers. This is, uh, they said, we're going to send out messengers throughout the territory of Israel. The messengers came, verse 4, to Gibeah of Saul. I think that's probably what it was called later after he became king. And spoke these words in the hearing of the people. And all the people, notice the reaction now, they lifted up their voices and wept wept. The distance between Jabesh and Gibeah, here called Gibeah of Saul, is about 42 miles. It would seem that what's happened is the messengers are going through the various towns and they're saying, can anybody help us? Can anybody help us? And they come to Saul's hometown. And Saul is not being called for. The, the messengers haven't come and said, hey, where's Saul, the one that's been anointed king, the one that's been empowered by the Holy Spirit? We need him now. No, they don't call for him. All they do is they share the message with the townspeople. They say, this is what Nahash has said. He's going to make a mockery of us. He's going he's to devastate us. And the response of all the people was, they wept. They cried. It was, oh no, there was nothing but fear and even they had, they had given up, basically. Oh, this is terrible. What can be done now? Now behold, now here's the leader. Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And he said, what is the matter with the people that they weep? All these people are boohooing over here. And Saul's curious and he's just come from the field and it's clear that he's gone back to farming. He's gone back to his normal duties at home. It's an agrarian society. Usually everybody had a farm or a field and he's plowing the field behind the oxen. He knows he's been, been anointed as king, but he's gone back home and he hasn't done anything yet. He's gone back to the field. He's a reluctant leader, apparently, like many of you are. Do you remember when uh, Peter, you know, after the resurrection, Peter says, hey, I'm going fishing. All right, well, we'll go too. And they toiled all night and they caught Zolcho. And there was a solitary figure on the sand. Boys, have you caught anything? <laughs> Do you love Jesus, right? Do you have any fish? He already knew that the nets were empty. No. Who is that guy anyway? Well, put your net on the right side of the boat and you'll have a catch. So they throw the net. It's filled with fish, teeming with fish. They pull it up and John says, it's the Lord and Peter into the water. Don't you love Peter? Did a belly flop or a triple gainer. <laughs> he starts swimming for the shore and it's at that fire that Peter gets restored. I had a friend of mine, I've shared it before. He was addressing an audience, a mixed audience, 
There were a few people in the room, frankly, that I knew had walked away from the Lord after serving him for years. And my friend told the story of Peter, and he said, Peter has gone back, had gone back fishing. Some of you have done the same. And then he paused and said, how is it? Well, Peter gets restored by that firelight, and they pull up. Do you remember how many fish it was? This is a trivia question. It was 153 fish. And somebody, I was at a baseball game Tuesday, and uh, a guy I've known for years goes, I always had this question. Everything in the Bible has a meaning, right? He says, why does it record in John 21 there was 153 fish? There's got to be some meaning in there. And I said, you know, I have a friend that studies Hebrew, and with every Hebrew letter, there's a number equivalent and there's some pretty solid evidence that 153 in Hebrew means I am God. How about that? Wow. So Saul's asking the question, I think anybody would. People have come into his hometown, everybody's weeping. We're supposed to weep at those who weep, so that's a good thing, but there doesn't seem to be any answers and so Paul says, uh, excuse me, Saul says what's the matter with the people? Why do they weep? This is an Italian phrase. What's the matter you? (laughs) What's the matter with you? And Saul, you know, has been drawn to this place. It's time for the leader to lead. So they related to him the words of the men of Jabesh. They said, well, this guy named Snake, he came to the town and he threatened the people, and the people said, okay, we'll make a covenant, and they shouldn't have done that, but they were desperate, and then they, he gave them a week, and they're going to the right eye thing, and they've been gone all over, and here's what's happened, and the clock's ticking, and they don't know what they're going to do. I don't know how many days have gone by. And the Spirit of God, 6, came upon Saul mightily. This is the second time we've seen this. The first time it happened in chapter 10, he prophesied and he was with that traveling band of prophets, right? And when he heard these words, he became very angry. Hey, how about this? Put this in your theological uh, thinking and hat. The Spirit of God came upon, Saul, uh, came upon Saul mightily and he became enraged. Is it possible that one evidence of the Spirit of God coming mightily upon a Christian is you would become very angry? Some of you are saying, praise God! <laughs> this is my out now! Every time I am questioned, I will say, did you know? In 1 Samuel 11, verse 6, children, line up. This is a spiritual moment. And you have biblical grounds. They don't even know the verse. You could even say, somewhere in the Bible, find it. And then do your chores. Spirit-inspired rage. I'm going to write an article. It's called... (laughs) You're going to get this. Q-S-S. Based upon James 1.19. 
Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Don't steal my article. I'm going to write it. I'm going to come up with a t-shirt. It's going to have three dots after the last S. Okay? This may even be a book. I think you can write a book on this. Because this will help with relationships, right? Every time you respond in the flesh, you could just give it the test. Was I quick to listen or not so quick? Was I slow to speak or pretty fast? Was I slow to anger? I'm not giving you an out for (laughs) this. But I am saying that if you don't get angry in the face of evil, and if you think that being nice is always what Christians ought to do, that's a lie. Jesus was angry. In Mark chapter 3, he looked around and he was angry at the religious leaders because they were trying to set him up. When he turned over the tables, I don't think he was smiling. You know, uh, Walter Martin some years ago was on TBN. He was being interviewed by the couple that owned the station. And uh, the wife said, uh, well, Dr. Martin, nobody can gainsay the work that you've done in apologetics. It's just been tremendous. You've done a great job in, in clarifying things about Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. But... She said, you could be nicer. And Dr. Martin said, wait a minute, lady. (laughs) You're now in my ballpark playing on my field. Let me tell you something. I love Jehovah's Witnesses. I love Mormons. I've given my life to try to reach them. She said, yes, but you need to be more like Jesus. And Dr. Martin said, look, I've, I've given evidence. I've done this and that. And she goes, well then could you say it with a smile? (laughs) On television, Dr. Martin goes, with a smile, you generation of slimy snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? (laughs) He said it with a smile. Anyway. (laughs) The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach glad tidings, right? To release the captives. But then he stopped. Because it does say then the year of vengeance of our Lord. When Jesus comes the second time, he's coming in the power of the Spirit. Even John the Baptist said of Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He's going he's gonna to take the chaff and burn it with unquenchable fire. Right? He baptizes with the Spirit and fire. He was using imagery that's related to judgment. Now, it does not mean, of course, that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you get very angry. But there is a uh, section of the Christian life where here, Saul is being prepared for war. He's got to have a certain mindset. This happened, I I took you through some verses in Judges. Look at Judges 3.10. Don't go there right now. Judges 6.34 and Judges 11.25. And you'll see Othniel, Gideon, and Jephthah The Spirit of God rushes upon each of them, empowering them for battle. And so, this is what's happened to Saul now. The Spirit rushes on him, and he is very angry, and it's a good thing the donkeys weren't around, because he took a yoke of oxen, and he cut them in pieces. Wow. And he sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand, (laughs) wouldn't you love to be these messengers? Of messengers. He said, look, 
wrap this in a brown paper bag and send it to that tribe. And you take this to this tribe. And you, and here's your message. It'll be very short and sweet. Whoever does not come after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. (laughs) How do you like that? You wanted a king? Oh, you got one. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org. For a lot of us, when we say, we hear, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask the question, well, what exactly does that look like? How do you put on God? Well, I've written about this in a book that I'd like to recommend to you, not because I'm trying to push a book per se, but I wrote the book as a devotional book on the armor of God to help people understand what the concepts are. You know, putting on the armor of God is a metaphor. It's not real physical armor, but it it signifies something else. To put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to put on the armor of God, to be filled with the Spirit are all different ways of saying to be empowered by the power of Almighty God. This is what we need for every single battle that we face, whether we're going to have to be bold in certain situations, battle in prayer, deal with a temptation. You know, when I wrote the book, Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, one of the primary things that came out in that book is that the armor of God is given to us to, to deal with temptation. And uh, I know we all deal with it. To be tempted is not a sin, but to give in to temptation is a sin. And we don't even want to put ourselves, you know, sometimes we put ourselves in positions of temptation unnecessarily. But this book, I think, will be really helpful for you. And I want to to encourage you to get a copy of the book. Here's how you can do that. The book is available on Amazon. If you search my name, Pastor Michael Lance, or a combination of suit up, putting on the full armor of God, you get to the book. I I believe the book is $12.40 on Amazon. And um, you can get yourself a copy of that book. And I would tell you, it's, it's probably just a little over 100 pages, but it's well worth your time. It doesn't replace your Bible, of course not. But it is a great supplement. It's something that you're going you're gonna to want to go back to time and again. If you'd like to request the book through our ministry, you'd like to give an offering and say, you know, when you give to the, the ministry, here's how you can do it. Go to livingtruthradio.org. That's livingtruthradio.org. Click on the donate button. Make sure you indicate radio ministry there. You can do that through a PayPal account. That will help keep us on the air. But if you want to send us a note and just say, hey, I gave a t- uh, $10, $20, $50 donation, whatever it is, and I want to get a copy of Pastor Michael's book, Suit Up, we'll send you a copy. If you'll just send us a note through the website, or if you want to do everything through snail mail, you could do that too. Living Truth, 1009 Arsenal Way. Think of the armor of God as your arsenal. 1009 Arsenal Way, Corona, California, 92880. That's Living Truth, 1009 Arsenal Way, Corona, California, 92880.